dark side. Light this bitch up. up everybody my name is james d fiore and this is black Bolt. so sometimes when you see a person who has a public image that leans a certain direction and then the next time you see him it leans in a very different direction most of the time i think of one of two things either i think of a machiavellian pr maneuver uh often uh, trying to repair like a damaged image those are not the good kind but sometimes it is a very genuine pivot and it is an indication that the person that you're dealing with is a genuine salt of the earth person and i honestly feel that the guest that we have today fits in that latter category and his name is charles adler charles how are you buddy not bad not bad how are you i'm doing okay i'm doing okay um, how apt was my description of you in the intro? Because I, I don't want to belabor the point, um, but I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to speak to you before. And I think, um, if I may paraphrase something that you said, uh, years and years and years ago that, or maybe it was said about you, I don't want to make that mistake that, uh, you were the closest thing that Canada had to a voice like Rush Limbaugh. Um, and now you are decidedly different. And, and I'm just kind of curious about the chronology of how you went from one to the other. Well, that's pretty simple, actually. Rush Limbaugh was my warm-up act in hundreds of stations in the United States. Oh, wow. So I, I was listening to a little bit of Rush on, you know, on the way to my show. And I'm positive, because, uh, and I don't mean to compare this to COVID or anything like that, but I'm positive that if you're hanging with somebody, you end up picking up some of their, their habits, have a feeling that uh, some people you know, thought tonally and who knows, I can't be objective about myself, but they heard some Limbaugh there. And I think the other people who are talking about that are probably talking about the, the right of center thing. I don't think I was ever as right of center as uh, Limbaugh because Limbaugh drilled down on all the, um, the social slash moral stuff, uh, anti-abortion, anti, anti-gay rights, uh, a lot of, a lot of sort of semi- religious stuff, which uh, I didn't do. But I, I just think, and I, I think most of it was the tone, James, to be brutally honest with you. And I think uh, in recent years uh, with social media and uh, the thing we had with, with Kenny, the, the flame out we had with, with, uh, with Jason Kenny, I think that um, people had decided that I had made this massive uh, conversion. I mean, I, in my, in my brain, in my heart, I just think of myself as a, I don't know, a mushy, moderate, conservative i guess I, I became pc when i'm not not politically correct but progressive conservative when i moved to ontario a long time ago back in the in the late 70s and and i had voted liberal before that because uh, pierre trudeau was my uh, my mp the riding that I, I grew up in in mount royal and so i moved to um, toronto hamilton a bunch of places in southern ontario and uh, provincially i just um the party that I connected with, uh, both in terms of uh, their their policies and just personally, culturally, friends of mine, were the Bill Davis uh, PCs. And uh, one time, I guess I voted for uh, Lincoln Alexander. Uh, he was in Hamilton. I was living in an apartment building. I wasn't paying all that much attention to politics. Actually, I was a, a rock and roll DJ. I was called the the matinee idol. 
okay. doing uh, rock and roll on uh, AM Top 40 and, and stuff. Um, was that CHEX? It was called uh, it was called uh, CJJD at the time. It was named after Keith Dancy's wife, but it was basically C H A M, same signal Cham. I, I worked for them for um, I guess a couple of years, and so I'm just living in uh, in Hamilton, and I uh, wasn't even thinking about the election at all. I'm not saying I, did, I wasn't somewhat aware that there was a provincial election, but I really wasn't paying attention. And I uh, walk out my door, and there's a a polling box. And I guess I was registered, uh, or I registered. I, I don't know what it was, but uh, I did, there was a polling box there, and I had to mark an X, and I marked it. <laughs> I marked it for the first name on the ballot, which was Alexander. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'd love to tell you there was some sophisticated uh, plan going on that I was interested in a lot of political philosophy about. But I was just, just I was I was a kid. I was what twenty twenty two or something like that at the time, and uh, I was busy doing a lot of things uh, with 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 rock and roll and beer and dating and you know whatever whatever a 22 year old rock and roll dj is into politics isn't even on the top 100 and the only reason i probably voted that day is because i i I physically uh bumped into into the ballot box that's why a lot of people do drugs because the access it was right there (laughs) it was the the democracy was there man i uh, had to uh have a a hit that's right yeah um is it hard to escape the brand of the network you work for? Like you work for Sun News and you, if you were always sort of a mushy middle kind of guy or a centrist or a moderate yeah. or whatever, is it is it difficult? And did you find it difficult at the time that you worked there to, to separate yourself from a decidedly far right brand? Yeah, they stuff a lot of right wing stuff on the prompter. <laughs> <laughs> just Ezra Levant's face. Whatever. They just, they just stuff it in there and... Uh... You know, I can talk about it now because it's been a long time. And, yeah. uh, you know, Corey tonight has other things to do and he's doing very, very well. But, you know, they stuff a lot of stuff on the prompter. And fortunately for me and I guess my brand, I'm, I'm, I can ad lib. I mean, I can ad lib your ass off for hours. I don't need a script. They used to, when I was reading a news many years ago, um, people uh, thought the, that um, our our team was, was crazy when, they would tell their friends that Adler goes in half the time with no script, but that's just the way I am. I mean, I got this from my mom. I'm a, a natural born Hungarian storyteller. And so very often when they'd stuff all the, the sort of hard right wing uh, cliches into the, the prompter, I would just go off and just do my own thing. But you know, the guests are the guests and the guests were definitely uh right wing. And um, the, the rest of the network uh, certainly in prime time was, was really, really uh right wing i I'm, I'm i'll always be convinced that they they only wanted me um, like you're the token uh, centrist or something yeah token i was a token uh because uh, they were applying for a must carry whatever the official term is for uh, getting the kind of license that cbc and ctv had and they wanted the crtc to uh to treat us the same way but uh anyway you know they they i guess took over my facebook page and they they posted a lot of stuff. They created a Facebook page of Charles Adler's Sun News Facebook oh, page, and it using a lot of, more exclamation points than you would ever use. Yeah, yeah. They just, I, 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 you know, the thing is, James, I was so busy doing so many other things. I had the radio show, I had this Sun show, I, I had, I had uh, writing to do. Um, I had a, a, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a social life. Um, so the the Sun News thing was kind of a a side hustle. And I had no idea that uh, they would want to push me uh, to the right like that because, I mean, 
they weren't pushing me to the right like that in the United States. And they certainly w- weren't pushing me to the right on, on the radio show. I was a somewhat right of center mainstream guy. And once again, the only reason on radio I was perceived as sort of radically right or hard right or, uh, you know, whatever the, the, the terms were, was because of the tone. I tend yeah, to get have one of those excited. Great, you have one of those great voices. Yeah, like, you know, there's, there's a few guys in our country that have, like, uh, voices that are just very, like, oh, I know who that is immediately. Um, and you're and you're definitely one of them. Like you're you're a true. You're kind of like in in the best way possible. Like you're you're like that throwback radio voice, right? And and I'm a throwback. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I was born. That. I was born with this. I was I was like this when I was eight nine years old. I mean, uh, I was very short when I was eight or nine. I'm not that tall now, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I used to love being on on city buses, saying something really filthy to a woman. Uh, you know, when I was eight nine, and uh, it was only I only did that when there was a man next to her. She always assumed. That it was the man next to her that had oh, said shit. this this filthy thing, and because I had you a were able had to a grown bring up your voice, down to like a sixty year old man's. <laughs> that is hilarious. I, I always thought it was a freak. Still <laughs> am by, you know, by some people. Um, so I I've heard you talk about Jay. You mentioned Jason Kenny, and I heard you talk about him before. And I know that you've uh, you've sort of weighed in, and um, I I don't know if you want to call it support, but you're saying you think people should vote for Notley, and yeah. I'm just curious. What was it that that um, like he he almost I don't want to say he broke your heart, but like it, it feels like you were all in with Jason Kenny, and then the bottom fell out. What, why were you all in to begin with, and how did the bottom fall out? I thought Jason Kenny was a whip smart. I still think he is. Uh, I uh, thought he did a lot of homework. I still think he does. I still think he knows uh, you know policy backwards and forwards better than anyone. I don't. I've never met anyone who, who outworked him. Work ethic was kind of my real religion as I was uh, growing up at the uh, at the feet of my, my father, who I don't think ever worked less than an 80-hour week, and my mom did several jobs. I mean, we were – technically, we weren't blue-collar because we had a, a family business, but, you know, it was a one, one-man show, and it was my dad hunched over the, the sewing machine all day when he wasn't talking to his, um, his customers who were coming in to get their – pants tightened or expanded uh, shirt, you know, skirts lifted, lowered, you know, whatever it is people wanted uh, for for their clothes. And of course it was a a dry cleaning piece of the business as well. And I would do all sorts of chores around the store. Anyway, I grew up in, in a very, I guess uh, to to put it nicely, working class family. I'd rather say working class than, than poor. We didn't feel poor. We were happy to be in Canada. We were Hungarian refugees and all of that. Um, look, the Jason Kenny piece was mostly about me admiring that strong work ethic of his. There are aspects of Jason Kenny I just didn't pay attention to. Now, maybe I chose not to pay attention. I, certainly, I wasn't paying attention to a lot of the, the homophobia that he was doing at, uh, at fundraisers. I didn't see any of that. Uh, I didn't get that sense until the actual campaign when I saw some video of what Jason had been up to in, in San Francisco earlier, and then some other tape of, of what he had done and what he had said in Alberta. Is that uh, from years and years ago? Uh, or so recent? once I saw that, it became very difficult for me to see him the same way again. And uh, we had that uh, clash, and uh, I guess four years ago, it was exactly four years ago, as a matter of fact, and because we had that clash, I was now perceived as, I don't know, some sort of wild-eyed socialist or something, an NDPer, 
I, I used the term uh, knuckle draggers. I was referring specifically uh, to, to people who were hardcore anti-abortion, hardcore anti-gay, hardcore anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, all of that. Uh, I was referring to them as, referring to them as the knuckle draggers when I asked Jason Kenny, why is it that these knuckle draggers are attracted to you? And then he and his people did a bunch of social media around the knuckle dragger thing, uh, portraying me as someone who had turned on all Albertans. I was calling my salt of the earth, Alberta the listeners, uh, knuckle draggers. That's what they were saying over and over again, kind of the the big lie. And then that, that was the that was the beginning of, I guess, the, the transformation of the brand. It's very hard for one person to fight the waves and waves of of media coming at you yeah. uh, and I, I i just i'm not one of these people who goes on the air and says i'm not this and i'm not that I, you know i don't i don't play defense i play offense as a friend of mine um tells me often it's really difficult to control your own reputation especially in media in canada yeah. would you agree with that would you agree? did you hear me yeah i can hear you now Oh, okay. Sorry. I was just saying that um, a friend of mine often tells me that it's difficult to control your own reputation, especially in the meet with the media in Canada. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, other people will, uh, will characterize you and uh, you can't, uh, you can't do very much about that. As I say, I'm, I'm just not one of these people who says, no, I'm this, no, I'm a conservative. No, I'm no, they're lying about yeah, That's whiny. I, I can't, I uh, can't stand it when I hear people do that. And I don't want to hear myself do that. I, you know, Popeye the Sailor Man. Uh, I am what I am. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I am what they say I am sometimes, but, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that comes with the territory too. Um, are you in tune or do you uh, sort of recognize what I recognize, especially when, let's stick with Alberta politics for a second, that no matter who ends up in the premier seat um, on the conservative side, especially the UCP side, that there is a machine behind the scenes that they almost are beholden to. Yeah. And I feel like people like Jason Kenney, because Nathan Jacobson, um, who's, who's a friend of mine, and I talk to him about uh, Jason Kenney sometimes as well, because he feels the same way that you feel. He, he, um, he re- admired his work ethic, and he thinks he's really smart and all that. But then when he got into the premier's chair, he said that he was basically taking marching orders or, or compelled to do what the machine was telling him to do and his advisors. Is that something that you agree with? Uh, you know, like, is there, is there, do we have a problem in, in this country about the way strategists and operatives sort of make their leaders act and behave? Yeah, I, I think with Jason, uh, that's bullshit. And so here I am on the one hand, uh, people perceive me as being some sort of enemy of Kenny. I'm not, I don't feel like anybody's enemy, uh, mm-hmm. but that's bullshit because um, I've been in the room with Jason Kenny when there are other people in the room Nobody tells Jason Kenny what to do and, and how to do it. Uh, that's nonsense. Uh, he's generally the smartest guy in the room, and he's very, very aware that he's the smartest guy in the room. So I don't, I don't buy into that. Are there different factions in the United uh, Conservative Party that he wants to appease or wanted to appease? Absolutely. But the idea that there are some, you know, evil brain trust uh, people in the room uh, turning. Jason Kenny into their uh, into their puppet that they're pulling his strings. I, sorry, I've been around too many politicians, Jason Kenny and many others, and that's always you know they, they some people will say that about Trudeau and others will say that about J- Jason Kenny. It's just a it's a popular myth out there that uh, that that these uh, 
politicians, whether they're liberal, conservative, NDP, whatever, are just always taking marching orders from someone. I mean, it, conservative, the UCP is pushing that right now, that uh, that that Notley takes her marching orders. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't even say this with a straight face. That Notley is taking her marching orders from Jagmeet Singh. I mean, oh. seriously, that's what? that's that's what they that's because they, they, they found this constitution. It's not the Canadian constitution, the NDP constitution. And so uh, the NDP, the, the federal NDP and all of the provincial NDP years are kind of one happy, uh, you know, socialist family. OK, so it's in the constitution. Uh, however, there's this other word that I guess the UCP doesn't want to look at. It's called autonomous. Now, autonomous yeah. generally means. You're on your own, bud. You've got your own choices to make, which, of course, different provinces do. So if you had told, uh, and I'll, I'll date myself here, uh, if you had told uh, Roy Romano uh, years ago, who was a, yeah. a very, very powerful uh, NDP, uh, and he was the premier of Saskatchewan for a number of years, if you had told him then that he was taking his orders from the federal NDP leader, he might just hoof you right in the jewels. Um, you know, Gary Dewar, uh, I didn't vote for Gary Dewar, but I th thought of Gary Dewar as a friend. I used to chat with him regularly. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't let him on my radio show because apparently uh, he didn't sound large enough when he was, he was on with me and he, he did other shows and that's fine and worked for him. But uh, Gary Dewar, I thought of as a friend and he was the NDP leader in Manitoba. And if someone had uh, told Gary Dewar that he was taking his, cues or his direction from, I guess it would have been Alexa McDonough and Jack Layton uh, federally. Well, I mean, and it's not that Gary disliked Alexa or Jack. That's not the point. But Jack and Alexa weren't, you know, pulling his strings. That's yeah. uh, that's nonsense. That is a uh, it's a pretty stunningly superficial um, idea uh, that that all of the federal and provincial parties of the same colors are all in cahoots all the time like that is just not true first of all their politics are completely uh fluid from at the provincial level because they're dealing with a set of political theater aspects that they're not dealing with at the federal level so sometimes you know you're you're even on the same on the opposite side of you know a, an issue that might overlap provincially but yeah no i agree with you uh it, it, it is it do you think the political ac political acumen of the everyday Canadian has increased or dropped in the last, say, five years? I don't think it's dropped. I just think that uh, we're in an age, whether it's the States, uh, Canada, Britain, whatever part of it is, the social media part of it is, you know, some mainstream media people embarrassing themselves. Uh, part of it is uh, much of mainstream media being downsized. Much of it is just people being bored with mainstream media, looking elsewhere for stimulation. And so it's not that the acumen has come down. It's just there, there's a lot of people out there, you know, believing a lot of, a lot of crap. I mean, how, how else do I put it? I mean, I just mentioned the, you know, the uh, Alberta UCP pushing this idea that Notley's taking orders from Jagmeet Singh. You've got uh, Pierre Polyev uh, saying that, uh, that Justin Trudeau's taking his orders from, from Jagmeet Singh. Yeah, they did a deal. And, uh, and Jagmeet Singh got his uh, dental care. Yeah. And they've uh, got a, a couple of other things, and, and that's the deal. But the idea that Jagmeet Singh is, you know, on the, on the horn to uh, Trudeau every day, telling him what to say, how to say it. I mean, that's the impression you would get from the from the, the national, the Polyev conservatives. And that's that's crazy. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Trudeau doesn't respect Jagmeet Singh. And that's not the point. But, uh, you know, Trudeau is very much large and in charge, whether you like it or not. He is the prime minister. The, the PMO is the most powerful institution in the country. And the federal NDP doesn't come close.
We are um, living in an in, in an age where uh, scandal is easy to find, and there is a. Um, I, I'm not like uh, a person who gets really ragey and angry at quote unquote cancel culture, but it exists. Um, the terminology might bother people, but there are certain circumstances where it exists. Is our prime minister a Teflon prime, prime minister? Because I don't know if I could name another politician who could withstand some of the things that he's had to withstand, including the blackface photos. And I know people get really upset when people bring that up. But just as a point of history, it, 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 you know, when people look back at the age that we're living in and that there was a progressive prime minister that, you know, where, where that scandal came out and he survived it. What does that say about his leadership? What does that say about the media and maybe their tendency to not hit as hard against certain people as they would against others? Doesn't say anything about the media. Uh, Justin Trudeau is a rock star, uh, and 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 rock stars is a there's a different standard there, and uh, he's a rock star. Now people are listening and watching this in different parts of the country, so they may be watching on the prairie, hmm. you know, where I live. I don't live here all the time, but I live here much of the time. And on the prairie, they will love it's, it's that, hard. that you said rock star, Charles. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, it's just, it's just, it's just hard. It's just, you know, it's just, you know, Winnipeg is a rock town, but uh, Justin Trudeau is not a, a rock star in, in in much of Winnipeg, and certainly not much of Manitoba, or you know, not too many acres in in Saskatchewan or, or Alberta is Justin Trudeau necessarily seen as a rock star. But boy, is he ever a rock star in the places. That matter, and this is what frustrates a lot of conservatives, especially conservatives on on the prairie, um, that they 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 don't have people in their lives who have anything but nasty and negative things to say about Justin Trudeau. So they just it's hard for them to embrace the idea, uh, or even tolerate the idea that he's a rock star in many of the places with dense populations. And you know, best example would be nine oh five. You know, years ago when I was living in Ontario and I had, you know, got three or four different jobs, and two or three different names, and you know, I'd be traveling all the time. I didn't sleep very much. I know every inch of 905, yeah. every inch of it. And the idea that the, the people who I know in 905 are going to be devouring Pierre Polyev's conspiracy theories, I'm sorry. As, as we said in the States, I worked in the States for a number of years. That dog don't hunt. Yeah. That dog don't hunt. There is a um, an interesting timing that that took place um, with the conservative leadership for the federal conservatives, where it felt like um, just at the time, like they, they kind of, I guess they felt they were going moderate with Sheer and moderate with O'Toole, and they probably kind of were. And then at the one time that they should go moderate, which would be the time that overlaps with the rest of the country's fatigue of a government that's been in there for a decade, that's when they go batshit and go to Pierre Polyev. And I'm just sitting here thinking, like, I'm trying to unpack this. And I'm trying to, to like, think ahead to the next election. And it was, and you know, you know the way we are in Canada. We often don't vote for the incoming government. We vote against the outgoing government. And this time, a lot of us are like, well, wait a second. The, the outgoing government has a leader who may be a rock star to some people, and that may drive us nuts. But look at the opposition leader. How are we going to plug our noses and vote for that? Nothing but a low voter turnout can win this election for Polyev, I don't think. Um, do you think that the conservatives who always do the conservative two-step where they go extreme during leadership nominations and then moderate during the general, do you think that's over? 
Look, if if you're if you're running against a, a Trudeau, Rockstar or not, you know he's been in there for a while. People tend to want to change horses after a while. So if you're running against someone like that, you want to be moderate because you don't want to give anyone a reason to not vote against Trudeau. I mean, this is really simple math, actually. Hmm. Um, if they had got just to use O'Toole as an example, if O'Toole was there right now, they would have a much better chance of beating Trudeau. 100%. If they had picked Peter McKay, they'd have a much better chance of it. Because if you're if you're if you're basic if you've got most elections are as they say a referenda on the government. So in a normal situation, the next election would be a referendum on Trudeau, and there's a very good chance that he would lose a referendum election. But this may be a choice election where people have a choice to make, either Justin Trudeau or Pierre Polyev. And once again, in many of the places with dense populations that are up for grabs, and whether it's the suburbs of, of BC that I've lived in, suburbs of Vancouver, whether it's 905 that I, I, I've lived in, and whether it's, you know, the suburbs of Montreal, which, you know, which is kind of where I grew up. Uh, in, in none of those places is a guy like Pierre Polyev um, popular, but if it was an Aaron O'Toole, it'd be a different situation because it wouldn't matter. He doesn't, he doesn't stick out. He doesn't give you a reason to wait a second, do a, do a, uh, I, I don't, I don't even have the right language for it. I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, I'm not saying that that people are frightened to death of Pierre Polyev. I guess I, the, the nicest way I could put it is, is turned off. Uh, whereas, as, like I say, a Peter McKay or Aaron O'Toole, they're 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 so generic that there's there's no reason at all why why people say well i i don't want trudeau but oh i can't i can't vote for aaron o'toole that's uh, that, that that's very difficult i you know, the some of the things that politicians i don't think pay attention to is how they come across visually because people instinctively go do i want this face on my tv screen or computer screen for the next 4 years or the next 8 years and pierre polyev does it's not him but i guess the digital team he has around him they constantly want to do these close-ups of him, you know, where he looks like a stalker. I have that, that one. Creepy I, have, thing. I have a file photo of Pierre Polyev. Okay. And, and it's really, do you want to see that every time? That's a, that's a, that's a somewhat different uh, Polyev, <laughs> but I take your point. Yeah. Uh, like, it's Mailhouse for all the ones listening and not, not watching. So ahead. in any case, uh, you know, they, they, they do these close-ups of him that make him look extremely creepy. And the average person, as I say, regardless of how they feel about Trudeau, the average person, without this is not this is not even conscious. Like it's almost, you know, it's just it's just a subconscious thing. They 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 look at that and they just say, I, I don't I don't want to see that in my face for the next eight years. And as as smart TV producers understand, people listen with their eyes. Okay, yeah. so if their eyes are caught up on something on the screen they don't like, that's that's all they're listening to. They're listening to ugly. They're listening to foul. They're listening to creepy. They're listening to pervy. That's what they're listening. So they're not hearing any of his words. So he's he's so proud of of of, of these soliloquies that he puts out on on Justin Trudeau and 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 how capitalism is supposed to work and how freedom is supposed to work and he goes on with this completely insincere stuff about people at food banks as if he gives a shit uh, about people at food banks. But anyway, he goes on. But but a lot of people don't hear any of that anyway. Because because he's just he's creeping them out. I, I just don't think that they understand. Because what they do understand, what they do 
absolutely love is the stuff they're doing gets clicks and they are click crazy and it also gets donations. Yeah. So as long as the conservative fund is replenished every minute when, when that stuff is on, they can convince themselves that this is a real winner. But I'll tell you, for those people I'm talking about in the suburbs of Montreal and the suburbs of Vancouver at 905, they don't give a rip about the Conservative Party of Canada fund. No, they don't. And and there's, there's a good reason for that. The, the, uh, the Conservatives fundraise off of every single scandal. When that CBC thing happened with Pierre Polyev and Elon Musk sort of piling up on uh, CBC and the Trudeau government and the government-funded media... Uh, it, I, I understand every, uh, all the factual errors that were was made, uh, but there were people that I consider to be uh, to have a high political acumen, thinking that oh, this is really going to hurt Polyev, and I was just like, how is this going to hurt it, his base? If he says something bad about the CBC, it doesn't really matter to his base if it's true or not, does it? No, it doesn't. But what what they and this is once again, I, I don't think they understand. I mean, maybe they do. Maybe I shouldn't say understand, but. They, they're constantly attacking institutions. What, what they don't, I, I have to say, what they don't get about Canada, okay, especially Canadians who are of this generation, so-called new Canadians, or the sons and daughters of new Canadians, recent Canadians, what they don't get is those people honestly believe that you need these institutions that are traditional Canadian institutions to keep Canada together. So when you're attacking the central bank, Right, you're 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 pretending that the 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 Bank of Canada is the enemy of the working Canadian. That that doesn't fly. And when you're pretending that the CBC is the enemy, that too doesn't do very well. Now it really doesn't do well in Quebec, where the CBC, known as Radio Canada, is a cultural icon. You know, they might as well call it Radio Quebec. You know, it is an instrument of Quebec nationalism. And anybody who's in the conservative movement, liberal movement, whatever, the, the bowel movement, anybody ought to understand that attacking Quebec nationalism, a, a, attacking the core of Quebecois culture, Radio Canada, which is a platform for all of these cultural icons in Quebec, for a conservative to, to attack the core of, of the Quebecois culture is, I have to say it, stupid. Yeah. Very stupid. They often give up on Quebec, though. I mean, they, they what did they, one seat, uh, you know, for a few elections in a row? Uh, and, you know, there was not much action going on in Quebec for the Conservatives. But they often, um, I think they have, look, they have the, the short game that they have in mind seems to be fundraising, right? Uh, fundraising off all these tweets and mini scandals and fake scandals. But their long game appears to be, ah, they'll forgive us by the time the election comes. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I, look, uh, the, the giving up on Quebec entirely is just poor math. You, you've you've got to you've got to drive toward a majority government. The moment you say Quebec doesn't matter, you're saying you're going to be a minority, and that's very dangerous for the Conservative Party of Canada, because if there's an election today and they get a minority, they've got a few more seats than the Liberals, but the Liberals and the NDP and the Bloc Québécois have more seats than they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Conservatives may get a chance to be in government for a little while, you know, have a throne speech, maybe a, a budget, but they're going to be defeated because the Bloc Québécois and the NDP and the Liberals are not interested in a Pierre Polyev government. So, you know, Brad Wall, my old buddy from 
Saskatchewan, the Premier of Saskatchewan, he's said it recently. Unless the Conservatives get a majority or something that is very, very close to a majority, they're going to have very, they're going to have a lot of trouble sustaining themselves. Now, if, if the, if a coalition, let's call it a coalition, uh, informal coalition of the Black Quebecois and the NDP and the, and the Liberals defeat the Conservatives in their first few months, there's a good chance there wouldn't be an election. There's a good chance that the Governor General would just turn the keys over to, to Justin Trudeau again. Um, let's shift gears a little bit here because I, I want to talk about polarization and and what it does to us and the way that we think. And I'm going to use an example issue that I think has been sort of swallowed by polarization and it's an all or nothing game now between one side and the other. And that's, <clears throat> excuse me, Bill C-11. I've seen, um, like I, I get my information for Bill C-11 from people like Michael Geist, who is hardly a staunch conservative. He's a, he, I think he's a reputable man. I think he's very smart. And I think that his uh, opinion on Bill C-11 makes a lot of sense to me. But it has become one of those issues, especially in Quebec and in certain parts of Ontario, where if you're seen um, criticizing it, they just lump you with Pierre Poilievre and and with that kind of far-right thing. Do you think, and you don't have to use that issue as the example, but do you think that a lot of issues that could be debated in a robust manner get swallowed into that black hole of polarization? Yeah, because... uh... When people offer examples of, of what they don't like about to be Bill C-11, uh, some people listen to that to think it's paranoid. And you you think paranoid, you almost immediately think of Pierre Polyev because he comes across as paranoid all the time or, or pandering uh, to the paranoid. Uh, you know, fear and anger, paranoia. I mean, they're all, they're all cousins. They're all in the same trailer park. And that's that. That's what he does. Um, so yeah, even a guy like Michael Geist, who is a very rational, very intelligent guy, you know, he he, he put he puts out his his feelings about that, and then different DJs, talk show hosts, political candidates, the Conservative Party of Canada, they start quoting him and talking about it, and and they, they start torquing it up, and 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 it it becomes once again uh, something that that feels. Paranoid, and and I, I'll say this over and over again, at the risk of, you know, boring some of the audience to death. Canada is a moderate country; they're moderate in terms of what they want substantively, what they want in terms of policy. They want moderate rhetoric. They want moderate tone. And anyone who thinks that Pierre Polyev's CPC, whether it's the digital faction or what they're doing in the House of Commons. Or what he's doing on those 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 videos. Anyone who who declares that their tone is moderate, I mean, you 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 better Google the word moderate because you're you're missing something. They are they are not moderate. They're not trying to be moderate, and that's just not the Canadian way in many parts of the densely populated country we call Canada. Do you have thoughts on Bill C eleven? No. No, not not. I don't have any. I haven't done a, a whole lot of. That serves me right for asking. Whole lot of thinking about it, so I don't mean to. Um, I don't mean to disappoint you. I t- I, t- I tend not to get frightened of, uh, of of a lot of stuff about regulations because I was living in a regulated environment uh, all my life, all my adult life. I've been doing uh, broadcasting, and so uh, I said whatever I wanted to say. Uh, I did not get uh, all dinged up. I didn't get punished. I didn't get put in the penalty box. Nobody put me in jail 
so I tend not to get as, uh, you know, frightened about uh, Canadian regulators as some other people do. Does that, does that mean I'm right? Does that mean I'm correct? No, I may, I may be wrong. So C11 may be the, you know, the, the, the worst thing that, that, that that's ever been. But I, I, I tend to think that the people who are railing about uh, C11 are, are torquing it up. I, I just don't, I don't see the regulators inside everybody's phone, inside everybody's uh, computer going after them, uh, preventing people from being free. You know, this is the one of the freest countries in the world. And when people hit me with that, uh, we're a dictatorship and Justin Trudeau is a dictator. I just, um, I just I go the other way to me. It's just, it's just a, a bad neighborhood. I don't want to live in. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I'm not a big fan of the of the type of uh, reach that the CRTC has. I, I and I also think that if we're going to progress as a country, we have to do a couple things simultaneously. I think instead of, uh, and I'm not talking about the money part, but the 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 broadcasting standards that uh, traditional radio and television have to abide by doesn't exist on the internet. And for some people, it feels like BCC11 might change that. And and I think that if anything, it should kind of go the other way. I think t- it, I think TV and radio should be more like the internet, and the internet should be less like legacy. Well, let, let me let me let me just let me just challenge that, okay? Because sure, I think yeah, this ahead. is an interesting conversation. Because when you know people would call in and say things like that, and the only way that for for me uh, to turn sort of raw meat into a a burger that's edible is to ask for specifics. So I'm not trying to. No, attack here i'm just no, asking well what is it what is, what is it that you're doing right now with with yours true what is it that you're doing right now with me that will be different or would be different uh, once uh, c11 uh, gets royal assent what what would change well i, I f- f- uh, from my memory of michael geist columns and he's written so much about it that it all kind of becomes white noise sometimes because i'm a layman guy i don't really understand how the legislation would work when the processes are put in place however the user-generated content ambigu- ambiguity, I feel like, might impact me. How searchable my show would be once the algorithm gets a hold of it versus something like a CTV or a global. Like, will, will I shrink in noticeability? I, I, these are all unanswered questions. So my concern is mostly about how I don't know, more so than what I know is going to happen. Okay. I, I'm not sure, right? And so I think that's really my problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I, just, need, I, I just need something specific. If I'm going to get a, if I'm going to get into fear, if I'm going to get into borderline paranoia, if I'm going to get into into rage, if, you know, reason to make certain statements, write certain columns, I just need, yeah, with I'm all with due you. respect, I just need more than that. No, I'm with you because I'm not part of the paranoid crew. I'm part of the. I'm very curious, and I, you know, I'm, and and the more I try to find out, um, you know, and you know, the critics, the 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 worthwhile critics of of Bill C eleven. Um, the the main point that they seem to be making is that we don't know how this legislation will manifest. We don't know what the big tech companies are going to do when it comes to their content inside Canada. We don't know if the if an Australia situation is going to happen where a Facebook might just be like, well, then we're out, you know, and then force the government to do something about that. So I, I, I it's more about the unknowns for me, um, and I'm not paranoid about it. I just just really want to know because I am a I'm a growing content provider in the digital sphere. Sure. And I'm not sure if if I grow to a certain level, if it's going to benefit me or not. And I just kind of want answers. Right. So, yeah, my 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 take on these things in general is if it gets so egregious that the public says, no, no, we can't we can't take this anymore. 
the the authorities will amend. And I, I'm sorry if that sounds really wimpy to people. If that sounds like I'm yeah. in the states, they'd say I'm I'm part of the the, the deep state, or here they would call me a whatever a a, a, a toady for the government or a liberal. Right. I, I really don't care. I've, I've been called James. I've been I've been called so many names. It's just it, it's it's water water off a duck's back. Yeah. But um, I just I just do not believe that any government uh, long term they, they can make mistakes at the beginning with the policy. But long term, I don't believe that any government is in such a rigid position, you know, feet in concrete that they wouldn't make amendments. They wouldn't make changes if it was costing them. I think there's this thing out there in, in sort of media land that uh, governments don't want to be reelected. They just want to follow some sort of ideological agenda. Anyone who thinks the Liberal Party is an ideological party is crazy. The Liberal Party has no ideology. The Liberal Party is about the relentless pursuit of power. And that means if the folks start going the other way, the Liberal Party will go the other way. Yeah. That, that's why the Liberal Party has been, in, 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 in the history of democracy, whether people like to hear this or not, one of the most successful organizations, natural because it is it is not it is not handcuffed by ideology, and and one of the reasons I sometimes sound, you know, like I'm a pro liberal. I mean, it used to be thought of as a red Tory. I mean, the red Tories have have disappeared. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons I think people think of me as a red Tory or a or a, or a liberal or whatever, you know, the once again the the mushy middle is because I can't stand ideology. I, I don't like far left. I don't like far life right. I, I don't like uh, I don't like paranoia. I don't like authoritarianism. I don't like any of those things. And so I like Canada. Uh, I love this country, actually. I spent a number of years in the other country. I don't hate America. Americans were very good to me. But this is, this is what I call home. And what I call home is a place where most governments, provincial and federal, regardless of what their stripe is, most of the time, no matter how many mistakes they make, most of the time end up agreeing with the plurality, if not majority of people. I agree with that. Uh, we have a few minutes left. I have a couple questions left. One of them that I want to ask, and I, I'm, I'm really curious what your take is on this, because, uh, you know, there is a... I, I don't even like saying certain phrases anymore, because it, it, it creates a search engine optimization type reaction out of people, where their brains hear a certain term, and then they automatically point at you and say, you're this or that. And um, one of those terms is free speech. Free speech was a bastion of the left forever. It was like, uh, you know, fought for on the campuses of places like Berkeley. It was, uh, you know, when, when hip hop music uh, came out with dirty lyrics, it was all these like Republicans and Al, and Al Gore's wife, but mostly Republicans and religious groups that were trying to censor music. And 30 years go by and that has flipped, completely flipped on its head. Where now um, the right want, you know, yell about free speech. And the left automatically, you know, because it's coming from where it's coming from, will then speak against free speech instead of um, what I had Noam Chomsky on the other day. Uh, what he's told me several times before on the phone and in interviews is that the best battle against bad ideas is with good ideas. Where do you stand on that? And what do you think has happened to, to produce that flip? I think free speech uh, to the far right uh, is uh, the right to hate Hate on people, hate on hate on groups, hate on certain governments. So I think that people who are more uh, more progressive, more you know, in the middle, 
uh, see it as hate speech, which is what they're after. And uh, am I for hate speech? Am I for hating on on people, whether they're transgender, LGBT, uh, the the full rainbow of LGBT? I mean, that, that's what the, especially the transgender piece. That, that's what they're that's what they're getting clicks. That's what they're harvesting dollars on right now. Uh, you know, you want to hate on you want to hate on Muslims. You want to hate on intellectuals. You want to hate on uh, people who are smart. I don't. And uh, so, do I take the far right? Seriously, when they say they're for free speech, are you kidding me? <laughs> free, they're not. They're not about free speech. They're about the right to hate as much as possible, twenty four seven, on the groups that create a base and create dollars for them. It's a. It's a racket. It's a business. And so, no, I, I don't. Uh, I don't take it uh, terribly seriously. I think I have free speech. I have free speech right now. Uh, would I want to abuse uh, this speech? by hating on the good people who are watching this, by hating on specific groups, whether they're religious groups or sexual orientation, whatever. Do I want to do that? No, I, I don't I don't want to do that. Because you know what? I want to be on this show the same way I am in real life. Yeah. I don't do that in real life. I don't want to do that on this show. I think I can you know, make a, a decent living. People in the States and Canada over the years have been good to me without me engaging in all of that. Some of that business, by the way, about the hate, is only about one thing, and it's not about free speech. It's about greed. There is a market out there for hate, and there are some hate hustlers, I don't have to name them for you, yeah. who just can't can't get enough of the filthy lucre, and it's greed that drives them, not uh, uh, some sort of valiant, uh, noble cause about freeing the population and helping people to food banks. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. Um- Lastly, uh, I want to I want to just actually share a sentiment with you. Uh, I saw you on the Eager Beaver po- Eager Beaver podcast. Uh, I think it was last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. And you said something right at the beginning that that really uh, stayed with me. And uh, I've recently had a, a you know a tough experience, and and I'm climbing out of it right now. Personal experience, and one of the things that I've been reminding myself is to try to be uh, as thankful and grateful and positive as possible. What you said on that podcast that, um, and you've been in this business for about four decades is that you still feel um, the warmth and goodness when someone contacts you and said, you know, something you said today, Charles made my day and something you said uh, made a relative think twice before they did this. When you said that, I, I, I honestly, I had a better rest of my day. I almost became that person that wanted to reach out to you and tell you that what you said on that podcast meant a lot to me. And I, I just want to, um, I just want to know, um, how, how does a person who's been in this business as long as you have not become desensitized to those types of people that reach out to you? Because they're worth more than money to me. Cause I grew up with people who had been traumatized by ideology. They were traumatized by both fascism and communism. I know what that looks like. I know what it feels like. And I also know that some of it is, has gotten into my, my bones because that's what trauma does. And so when I know that there are people listening or watching, reading, something that I'm involved in. And I know that those people exist because I've seen them. 
not just in terms of my own family, but so many other families. And I know that they need someone to have empathy for them, to have compassion for them, to understand them, to be aware of that. And and they, they do respond. And there are many situations where people have stopped themselves from, from doing destructive things to others and to themselves. And I'm keenly aware of it because they contact me. That is worth more than money to me. Would I make much more money as a hate monger? Absolutely. Do I have the the pipes, the the delivery, the imagination uh, to create the kind of vivid language that uh, can create a lot of hate and clicks and coins? Of course, I choose not to do that path. And the reason for that, there's only one real reason for that. I can't do that to my ancestors. I can't do that to my late father. He's on my shoulder right now. And I'm never going to do anything that embarrasses him. And I'm never going to do anything that wouldn't make him feel my son. That's my son. You know, for years we had a falling out because he didn't want me to be a, a radio guy. He wanted me to be a, a prosecutor. Specifically, he wanted me to be a war crimes prosecutor because war crimes wiped out most of his family. Wow. And he was told by his friends, lawyers, judges, other people, uh, that I had all the tools to be a, a prosecutor and, and, and maybe even a, a war crimes uh, prosecutor at, at The Hague. And so that was my father's dream. And so when I took what he thought of as the easy way out, telling stories on the radio, you know, to him, that was the easy way out because my mom was a, a natural-born storyteller and I, I have her DNA in me. And so here it is, I'm doing that. So to my father, he just didn't take that seriously. So for years, we didn't, we didn't talk very much. But when he was in the throes of Alzheimer's and was talking hardly at all, one of the caregivers one day is visiting with my father to do what caregivers need to do for people suffering from dementia. God, God bless them all. And they're all immigrants, by the way, okay? You wonder, you wonder why I'm pro-immigration. You wonder why I get my, my back up about the right-wing nut jobs who hate on immigrants. Immigrants are helping our people, our people with dementia and everything else in, in various care homes right across this country. I can't love our immigrant population enough. And so one of the caregivers is doing what needs to be done for my dad. And my dad is listening to the radio and it's me. We were doing a syndicated show at the time and popped up in Montreal and he would listen to it from, from beginning to end. Even when he was getting deeper into the Alzheimer's, he was just somehow still attached to that radio and he wasn't talking very much at all. But he said to the caregiver, he pointed at his little Lloyd's radio and he pointed and he actually said a few words. He said, my son, my son, that means everything to me. At some level, at some level, he knew that I was doing some, some things that he was proud of. That is very powerful because I, I, I work at a, at a library and I deal with a lot of people who have dementia and they, uh, in, in moments of clarity, they, they, they tell me that they, they often have one thing that they attach to that doesn't seem to be clouded and your dad shows his son. And I, and I find that to be beautiful. Well, everyone, everyone watching or listening to this right now has a Mike Adler in their lives. 
And every one of you listening to me wants that person. Could be a father, could be a brother, a sister, mother, uh, a teacher. It doesn't matter. Someone who is your, your northern star. And it makes your life when you feel that you made them proud. There are very few people who will be proud of you for hating on people, for raging on them, for sending photos of you know blackface on your on your social media account. Uh, none of the people I'm talking to are going to be impressed with that or, or proud of you. You're wasting your time. But much more important than that, you are leaving yourself purposeless. Find a purpose to your life. Find a Mike Adler. Find your favorite sister, your, your mom, your, your grandmother, even if they're no longer with you. Find someone that you really respect, someone who had a strong moral compass, and walk in their footsteps. I don't want to do religion here on the show, because when you do religion, uh, people almost always take it the, the wrong way. But there you is can, an you expression. Can say whatever you want. Go ahead. But there is an ex- there is an expression in Christianity. I'm not a I'm not a I mean I love Jesus, but I'm not a I'm not a Christian. How is that for you? I'm an I, atheist. I love, it's okay. You can say. Anything. I love I, I I love great teachers, and he's one of the greatest uh, teachers who has uh, ever walked the face of this planet. And so Christians like to talk about walking the walk and and walking the talk, and that's what I'm talking about right here. So whether it's whether it's Jesus Christ or a member of your family, or someone who was your teacher, someone you really respected. You know, walk walk in their path. And when you walk in their path, you'll never walk alone, and you'll never be alone. And if there's one message that I've had over the many years, I've done almost half a century of public communications, it's have a purpose in your life, have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, and find somebody. And not, you don't have to find a big group, find someone whose morality you really trust and see if you can see if you can have them as your compass as your northern star see how close you can get to having their respect if you do that your life will be significantly less lonely you will be less lost you will feel more empowered and yeah you'll be smiling a lot more you'll be you'll be happier i don't know how I could possibly have a happy moment in my life if the only thing I was concerned with is clicks and dollars. Yeah. And I'm not trying to disparage people who are good at it. You know, you're, you're, you're good at getting clicks and, and raising money. You know, God love you. But that's not the life uh, that, that I want for myself. And that's not the life I want for 99.99% of the people who are with us right now. Well, listen, I, I would say, and I think that you're probably really, um, the humble part of you would might be like, oh, you, stop it. But I think to a lot of people, Charles Adler is Mike Adler. So I want to thank you for that, sir. And I want to thank you for joining us today on Black Bolt. Thank you so much. You have a great night. What do you say? Um, I, I, I've never spoken with uh, Charles Adler. There, there have, uh, there's a lot of people that I've interviewed that I've talked to here and there over the years um, that they probably don't remember. Uh, Charles Adler's not one of them. This was me. Oh, by the way, he had to unblock me. <laughs> he, he unblocked me like 10 minutes before the show started. <laughs> I was like, I was like, uh, is it okay if you, uh, can you unblock me? You know, if I, 
I'll take full responsibility for why ever you did it. I don't remember what it was um, that made him block me. I don't know, three or four years ago, but um, but I'm glad he he didn't. That that moved me. Um, I I wasn't expecting that at the end, and I'm really really appreciative and grateful that uh, that Charles Adler was able to come and share and share his thoughts like that with me. I'm I'm pretty moved here. I, I hope you guys were too. Um, yeah, I, I hope he comes back because that that was dope. I just want to remind everybody as well. Oh, I got goosebumps still. Thank you, Charles Adler, for giving me goosebumps. Um, tomorrow, this man will be here. He is one of the co-founders of Death Row Records. He once toured with Tupac and NWA and Snoop Dogg. And uh, then he got in a car accident and was unable to... Um, his voice was destroyed. And about... Eight days ago, he went on stage for the first time in 30 years, and his name is the DOC. Again, one of the co-founders of Death Row Records. I can't wait. And uh, my thanks again to Charles Adler. That was that was well, that was a dope interview, um, and it was all him. And I really appreciate that. And we will see you next time on Black Ball. Black music and the rock stars who make it he just was one of those people he, he stood out he was a magic guy he really was a magic guy all we all have force he had the same amount of force as we all have this was before led zeppelin robert was full on i mean he was led zeppelin without the band behind him he had the hair the jeans the whole thing you know and he was amazing the records and rock stars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts all the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com the Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.